Hey, have you heard about popcultureclassroom.org? Pop Culture Classroom inspires a love of learning, increases literacy, celebrates diversity, and builds community through the tools of popular culture and the power of self-expression. That sounds awesome. Pop Culture Classroom envisions individuals transformed by the educational power of pop culture who create diverse, inclusive, and engaged communities, and they bring us Denver Pop Culture Comic Con. So... That's why you get these panels, these guests, these interviews, all of this programming that we offer through the BAC network. Other things that Pop Culture Classroom gives a shit about, quality service to kids and communities, respect, inclusiveness, and diversity, equality of opportunity, alternative approaches to education, recognizing each person's intrinsic dignity and importance, that's always good, and open communication, responsibility, and honesty. Does it sound like I'm reading that off their website? It's because I am. I want to get it right, because they deserve to get it right, and they deserve to have you go to their webpage, popcultureclassroom.org, and donate so that they can keep on trucking with their awesome mission to change the world through pop culture and literacy and education and etc. Favorite character. Oh, my 
favorite character was obviously Lex Luthor. Oh! <laughs> As much. They're, 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 they're your characters in my eyes, absolutely. Um, Without them, I mean, honestly, what would we do? It's true. Okay, so you already alluded to this, but I want to, I do want to bring it up because I think, you know, as I said, I do a show for DC, and a lot of what we talk about are is the Arrowverse and and um, the the legacy of DC on television. So I want to start by taking you guys to the way way back machine in the way back machine and ask you about, was this a tough pitch? Was this a tough sell? Because as Michael said, and I think it's important to remember, like, this wasn't being done on such a scale uh, like it is now. And so can you guys talk a little bit about, about the pitching process? Uh, sure, so it was the summer of 2000, and Warner Brothers Television, uh, where Miles and I were based, uh, came to us and said, we got the rights to do Superman, Su Superboy on television. And you have to remember, this is before the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The last iteration of Superman had been Lois and Clark. The last iteration of Batman had been Batman and Robin. The first X-Men movie had just come out like two months before. So that was it. So we loved the idea, but we didn't want to do Superboy. We, we, but the idea of doing, you know, the origins of, of Clark Kent and how he became Superman, we pitched it as puberty with superpowers. So it was a coming of age. You know, show with with, um, with the boys who grew up to be a superhero, and then also meeting the guy who would become his nemesis, but when we started, their best friends. It, uh, it was a really hot pitch. So people didn't think we were going to sell it, and the WB were the least likely to buy it. The head of the network said they weren't interested in hearing pitching. Yeah. They, they, they literally said, Superman in high school, what do you think? And they're like, nah, pass. And so we, we went to Fox and we pitched it in the morning and they loved it and essentially bought it in the room. And then we went to the, to the WB in the afternoon and Peter Roth, who's the president of Warner's Television, was like, just, it, this is like, just go with the pitch. This is a courtesy pitch, so don't worry about it. And then we could tell when we went in and pitched it, um, Suzanne Daniels, who ran the WB at the time, who was a friend of ours now, was like, as we were pitching it, she was like, oh my god, this is actually a really good show. You can see the wheels turning, yeah. So, and, and we always thought the WB would be a, a more obvious home for the show. I mean, we were totally happy on Fox. But then they came back, and then it was kind of a confluence of events because they had just let Buffy go, and we were the only pilot they made that season. So it was like all the chips were pushed into the, into the center. How much did it cost to make Smallville to pilot? The, the Smallville pilot was five and a half million dollars. Five and a half million dollars in 2000, which now would be about 15 million? It would, it, it would easily be a, a 10 million dollar For one hour of television. For one hour of time. But if you watch that, that, that pilot, yeah. it really blew everybody away. The actors, creators, anybody involved, I think people were like, whoa, they showed some effects on there, and I was like, that doesn't work anymore. Right. But it was like they, yeah. they were they were absolutely one of the things that we you know because the Matrix had just come out the year before, so we said okay now we're living in a post Matrix world. How are we going to do you know how is the speed X ray vision all of those things? And so we worked a lot, and at the time it was probably the most groundbreaking visual effects show on television. Yeah, that was the that was the aim always to do feature worthy effects. Well, so let's talk. Okay, Michael. So yeah, one second, please. Can you shut up over there? 
for the moderator. Or... Rude Michael. Sorry. Okay, so... And by the way, why do they have to sit up there? There's plenty of seats over You guys just, uh, what are you doing, some old high school work up there? A little make-out sesh? What the hell is going on? Alright, stay up there if you want. She left already. Okay, let's just crank up the volume. And uh, John Cryer was also in Superman IV, The Quest for Peace. He played Lex Luthor's nephew, Goofy Nephew. So I say this because when we were talking about the legacy of this character, he said, having worked with Gene Hackman personally, that you and Gene Hackman are his two favorite, like most, he was so impressed by both of your takes on the character. So, uh, I- That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's true. He told like he he was he was very impressed by by the journey that your Lex got to take, right? And so uh, I want to ask you take you to the way way back machine because I know you've told you've said many times like you weren't interested at first and you were doing some indie films, but then you went back in. Can you talk about like telling you know like like okay, I'm Lex Luthor, fine. We just did this. Our equivalent $15 million pilot. Yeah, okay. Take, take me back to And then I'll take you back to, look, this is, I'll put it this way. If I summed it up in one story, it would be after the show, after they were already in the editing room, I went in to do its AD, called ADR, additional dialogue recording, yes. And I went in there to do some, and David Dunn goes, ah, sit down, the, the director, I want you to see this. And I watched this. Uh, not, a, not a huge screen, a lot smaller than this. And I called my parents and I said, this is gonna make me famous, I think. <laughs> they went, what? Because they've seen everything I've done, and, you know, some okay stuff, some good stuff, but they were like, you know, I'm like, Dad, I did this indie movie, indie? What the hell is an indie movie? Is it not real? No? It's an independent movie. Is it going to be in theaters? Oh, well, then it's not a real movie. That was my dad. But when I said, listen, this is, it just was mind-blowing. When I, I said, wow. It was the first time I had been in something that it wasn't just like, hey, you were really good in a crappy movie. Or you were, you were good in an okay thing. Or the movie was, well, you know what? This was the first time where the cinematography was amazing. The writing was amazing. The makeup, the hair, or lack of, amazing. <laughs> the effects, the everything came together to make this show what it was and what it, you know, is. And to me, I had never been part of that where I'm like, oh, I have to step up my game now. I, I, can't, I have to really, because there's a lot of pressure on all of us because you can't just go in there and sort of wing it. It's like everybody around you is doing their jobs and they're the, top of their game. So I had to be at the top of my game. And I also was scared shitless. I, I didn't know I was gonna look like bald. I, they were taking a chance to give them. We didn't know either, so we took him <laughs> the trailer and they shaved your head. Yeah. And we were really worried your head was gonna be really bizarre. <laughs> Let me ask you, be honest, be honest, be honest. Yes. If my head was bizarre, if I had like a uh, crater in it, yeah. 
if I had some weird growth or whatever, I do have more of a good bone. I have an acetyl bone. Yeah. Were you worried about that? It actually gave you a sort of it made you very yeah. made you very aerodynamic. If <laughs> <laughs> my head wasn't good, would you probably have fired me or just shot around it? No, never. Because Michael wanted to have, always wanted to have the the bull cap, which we always said no way. Each season, he'd come and say, I want a bull cap this season. Every season. He'd say, no way. Because, you know, for me, look, I'm glad. Didn't you even try it? I'm glad I lost it because I finally came back to the season's finale. And by the way, you remember, I signed up for six years. I did six years and another year. So I didn't quit. I just did my obligation. Yeah. So I felt like I should come back for the series finale. You guys were already gone at that point. Yeah, we, we left after season seven as well. After season seven, because when I left, they were heartbroken. Yeah, they were like, they know what to But I remember... I actually think you were heartbroken when you were like, I'm Yeah, I'm out. But we can tell you So, at the, I remember with two weeks to go before the series uh, now, I started shooting. I called up the, the guys who were watching and said, Give me my ring, give me a ball cap, and you have me for one day. Let's Thank do this. Thank you so much. Like and they just wrote it. They wrote something in there. It wasn't in the finale, and then they and I just flew to Vancouver for one more day, and they used to be 23 hours straight. <laughs> one day, we'll use it for one day. And uh, but that ball cap, wearing that ball cap, I felt like, oh my god, this sucks. It's claustrophobic, it's heavy, it's like my head looks another three. I already have a big epic head, so now it's even bigger, a comb heavier. So I'm glad you guys shut me down over here. And you know, 10 months a year of the show was hard because I didn't, you know, it was hard to work on other stuff. I was wearing yeah. like wigs that were bad and I just was like, but I don't, I don't, it was a great decision. So Miles and Al, I want to ask you a question about, uh, so I, as, as I said earlier, I grew up on, well, I grew up on the Superman movies. So when I saw Annette O'Toole in the show, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like I, I know her and now she's into a different role and, um, you know, that was something that sort of popped up a little bit throughout the show, and now is all over the Arrowverse, like bringing different characters back. So, can you talk about, like, the, that decision to sort of not, to cast her in that role? Was that intentional? Was that to sort of be a head nod to the movies? Well, the truth is we had a different actress playing that role in the pilot. Um, and then it was a lot of said, oh, maybe we made the wrong decision, which happens sometimes with pilots. So then we thought, oh, Annette's a great idea because of the legacy of her role in the Superman movies. So that was a great choice, and I had that familiarity as well, and she was so warm and tunnel. And then throughout the, the series, we had Margaret Kidder, and obviously Christopher Reeve in an iconic episode of the series. So it was always our intention to populate the show with people from the Superman world. I would really love to ask you all about the uh, the Rosetta episode with Christopher Reeve, the, the first time that he appeared. Yeah, please. I, I distinctly remember, in a very nerdy, fangirl kind of way, listening to Christopher Reeve say Clark <laughs> to, you know, and be like, he's talking to me. I have to like, sit at home and pretend he's playing Clark. Um, but, um, but yeah, can you guys talk about that decision and also, because you guys wrote that episode, correct? Yes, yeah. yeah, so so can you talk about like, okay, we've got this man, and this iconic man in this role on our show, like, was there was there extra pressure? Was Did he just take that role? Was it written for him? Like, can you tell a little bit about that? Sure. So it was an episode where 
the whole season two was all about the adopted kid learning about his birth parents. And it's the first time you, in Rosetta, the first time you've heard the word Krypton, it's the first time he heard all of that. So we wanted it to be, we said we want Christopher Reeve to be Dr. Virgil Swan, so that he's giving, it's like the passing of the torch. So getting Christopher Reeve, we, we called his agent, um, who was great, and we said, look, we told him what we wanted to do, and this was months before, and he spoke to Chris, and Chris was intrigued, and his kids had watched the show and really liked it. So then he watched a few episodes, and then I, I called him, and the thing with Chris Reeve is you never had a short conversation with Chris Reeve. The guy was incredible, and he would, you know, we talked about a lot of different stuff, and he really liked the idea of being the one to, to hand it over. So, um, so once he said yes, then it was, his only, his only requirements were we had to shoot him in New York, because that's where he's based, he could not fly to Vancouver. And he wanted a PSA with Tom at the end for his foundation, no problem. Um, and then his fee would be donated to the foundation. So once the business affairs people figured that part of it out, then we had to figure out the logistics of shooting it. And so some of it was, was sort of driven by the production. We're gonna have it for one day, so we needed, you know, it was essentially two scenes. And so we flew Greg Beeman, who was our producer, director on the show, and Tom to New York, and um, John Wells, who was also, I own Warner Brothers, he was doing ER, West Wing, and a show called Third Watch. And Third Watch shot in New York. So we used, we dressed one of, it wasn't even one of their sets, it was just like a, a storage room that they had. So we, you know, our first idea, which is when he came back to the show, we shot at the New York Public Library. And that was the first idea, and then we thought, well, we can't do that, so we'll do it. Well, he's this eccentric guy, and he, he has this. And, you know, Chris showed up, and they were like, you have it for like four hours, which we understood. And so Greg went and staged the scene with him and Tom, and that New York crew was fast. That crew was, I mean, God love Vancouver, but that crew was unbelievable. So. Chris got there and Greg sort of staged the scene very simply. And Chris, who obviously directed himself, was like, you know, I'm just sitting here. It's like, we should do something more dynamic. You know, can you, and we said, well, we only had you for, he's like, I'll stay as long as you need and he, and he stayed and then shot the PSA afterwards and it was, it was a great day. Wow. It was great. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> no, they didn't write a scene with me and Chris Green. Sorry. <laughs> Was included in that. Did, did you ever get to meet him? Yeah, I, um, the Christopher Reeve Foundation had a. Um, they flew a bunch of actors and musicians like the Beach Boys and to Puerto Rico. And I, and I went there. And like uh, Buzz Aldrin was there. You know, an astronaut. Wow. Wow. Those of life is secret life. I knew nothing about. Yeah, they threw us out there, and uh, I think it was for the Robert Kennedy Jr. Foundation, Christopher Reeve, in conjunction with that. And uh, he was there, and, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was amazing. He just had this presence. He, he still felt like you were around someone of that stature, that superman stature. And then I also played in an ice hockey game in Madison Square Garden for the Christopher Reeve Foundation. Oh, wow. And he, I presented him a small gold blanket signed by everybody in the cast. And so it was really cool. It was, uh, yeah, I definitely teared up. People were looking at me. What's wrong? What's wrong? Mm -hmm. so, I don't know. You guys have no. Uh, Heart. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a big moment, I would say. Uh, so, Michael, I was listening 
with your podcast this morning, which is great. <laughs> Thank you. By the way, we're coming up. I'm going to tell you guys. I'm announcing we're having like a Smallville week, so I'm going to be. I interviewed them already, which was awesome. John Glover, Tom Welling again, Kristen Krug um, is this coming Wednesday. So listen, it's I, I definitely get deep. It's not just surface stuff. It's about. Well, did you guys get nervous about that? Did you ever have anxiety? Did you ever get depressed about that? You couldn't sell the script. You could. So it gets really. Uh, Deep. So check it out, subscribe, I need your help, and, and thank you. Yeah, of course. I mean, I look forward to, to more of those conversations, and I was listening to your episode with Tom Welling this morning, and actually towards the very end of the conversation, the idea of conventions and fandom and all of that came up, and, you know, again, for a different time and place, obviously conventions have been going on forever. You said that you used to go to horror conventions as a kid, right? Before I was, like, before I got any sort of fame, I would go to horror, or horror conventions and go, oh, I kind of want the guy who played that one guy called, uh, what was it, his name was Flyboy. He had no lines, but he was a cool zombie, and he's there signing for, like, 15 bucks. New Jersey Horror Con, and I would go with my friends, and that's what we do. So then when I get actor, so it's weird for me to come to these things because I am a fan. So I go shopping, you know, look for toys and things, and I'm 46 years old. It could be sad, but it makes me happy. And uh, so yeah, I, I'm that guy. That's true. I'm single. Are you single? <laughs> well, fine. Are you? <laughs> Who's single? Who's single? Spider-Man single. I'm not that guy. She's on it right now, she's on it right there, he's on it, half the people are on their phones right now. Doesn't matter. It's like, so that's the bad thing, is everybody's always on their phones and they can't, so there's not, you can't be present and talk to your friend, but let's just have a moment. You know, I always like to think when I go out to breakfast with my friends, everybody puts their freaking phone on the table. In the middle of the table, and whoever gets the phone pays the freaking breakfast. That's the way it is. But, the other side, the contrast of that side would be the, the fact that you can connect with all of you. I can connect, I can, first of all, I can FaceTime my grandparents. I can, uh, uh, I can talk to fans. I want to go, hey guys, what's going on? Here's where I'm going to be, let's hang out. I can respond to their questions. I can, so that's really cool that we can connect, and that's what these conventions are. And I think that with Tom, for a long time, he's kind of a private guy. It's not that he's an asshole. He's just private. I mean, like, you know, he wasn't like me and just, you know, I love people. I love being around people. They give me energy. And uh, I kept telling him, I said, listen, conventions are like, you know, Alan Miles going on vacation. They might go to Mexico. Yeah. But for a vacation, you guys cosplay or you want to, these conventions are your vacation. 
So I'm like, they want to be here. This is what they're saving their money. They want to come here to the library on amazing weekend. This is their life. They want to do this. And I would be doing it too. If I wasn't, you know, so when I explained it to them that people really love this, and you will love it because you get to interact with your fans and you know how much love they have and you have. And so it's a mutual appreciation. So it has evolved. And I'm well, glad it was the first time we ever went to Comic Con in Anaheim for Smallville was the first season, and we literally had 500 people in the room. And it was the first time we ever met. Yeah, this was in 2002. So we didn't even go before the show started. We went yeah. right after the first okay. season. And the next year it doubled, and the next year we had the biggest room. The right all age. But it all, we actually see the evolution of Comic Cons from that moment. It really was nothing. It was yeah. just, yeah. which is little thing, we never heard of it. And we were, it was resolved. Yeah. We had a, a, a writer on staff, Jeff Lowe, who's now the head of Marvel Tech Television, and he said to us, you should go. We were pretty skeptical. So you should go. Because we read this stuff online for like, they hate us. They don't hate you. Yeah, there's a lot of initiative, a lot of negative response to the show um, from diehard Superman fans because we changed the law so much. We changed the, the canon of Superman. There was no meteor shower, Lex and Clark weren't friends. All that stuff was all fabricated for the show. So, but we went and actually heard from fans directly. It was, it was, it was great. Yeah. And now Kristen and Tom are doing them thanks to me. So you're welcome. That's true. Oh, yes. I did get it to do it. I did. I was like, Kristen, come to Dallas. She's like, I go, dude, it'll be fun. We'll be meeting you and Tom. We'll have, we'll have a great time. It's a little reunion. Okay. She came to Orlando. She was amazing. And she loved it. She's like, oh my God. You forget that there's still that connection. Like, you know, people, it's a show that's been, you know, passed on, you know, to generations. And it's just, it's, it's so cool to see. It's like, holy crap, I'm here 10 years after, nine years after the show's ended. I know, it's amazing. I know, we're lucky. We're very lucky. It's a cool, it's a really, really special show. I mean, truly. And and actually, I got an opportunity to pick which panels I wanted to do, but I picked this one. Thank so, you. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So I have to, Alamos. I gotta, I gotta get a little, uh, a little. Have you guys heard the term sweaty? Like a sweaty nerd? You, okay. Our, my late great lovely friend John Schnepp came up with this great. He calls us nerd sweaties. Uh, when you get really excited about something, you're getting sweaty over it. Uh, <laughs> so I have to get a little sweaty about something. Um, so I do the show on DC Universe, and we recently watched the Aquaman pilot, because it is on DC Universe. And Good. Oh, it, I didn't know. It is, and, and it was so fun. Right now, I was thinking, I didn't get a check. <laughs> no, I I'm haven't. kidding, I'm kidding. Wait a minute. But obviously, it, that's where y'all found Justin Hartley, who eventually... Yes, you're welcome, America. Uh, yeah, you guys discovered Dubbing Angel, Justin Hartley. Uh, but no, I want to ask, like, you know, okay, so you, you have this success of Smallville, and you approach a new approach, rewriting canon a little bit, you know, massaging the lore, and then here you are doing Aquaman, and, and it didn't go. But I'm just curious, like, can you talk a little bit about approaching another property within the DC universe in, in such a way? We can talk about why that didn't go. That's, okay. This is the reality of television, is that when you have the people who were in charge of Smallville, who bought Smallville and put Smallville on the air, they all left. And so in the middle of making Aquaman pilot, the president of the network was fired. 
So we got a new president of the network. Well, sorry, it's even one worse. The network went away. That's true. The WB and UPN merged to become the CW. And weirdly, the WB, which was a successful network, the UPN people were the ones who took over, which is very weird. So the new president of the became the CW had no interest in making, had no interest in Smallville. She immediately moved Smallville to the worst night television. And then we crushed it. We crushed it. And every year she tried and cancel the show, but because the ratings were good, she couldn't. Um, and so we were sort of doomed in the middle of our production of Aquaman, um, even though it was the other major star and proved to be a major TV star. And it is, it's far from perfect, but it's a pilot that was in production. So we would have made changes if, if it had gone, but it's just, Regime change is a big issue for TV producers. And, and she didn't want, she was, it was the Gossip Girl Network. That's what it became. Right. And then when the current president came in, in like 2010, I think, is they had had um, Vampire Diaries, and they were like, oh, genre shows are big. And then suddenly it became all genre. And, and also I think the, the DC movie side, who were always incredibly stingy about what properties you could yeah. get. Like, we could never get Bruce Wayne, we could never get Diana Prince. Like, we wanted to put Diana Prince in Smallville and spin her off and have her own show. And so we could have, we could have Aquaman. So we thought, okay, we can put it in Miami and, and make it feel different. Um, and I, I know that show would have worked if we had had the, as Miles said, you know, we could, whatever the issues are with the pilot, we could have fixed and, and that show could have run. But it just, it's one of those. It's the business, that's just TV. Yeah, that's just, and that was just timing. Sure. You know, sure. so. But, but we got but we got Justin Hartley later. Which we got just, so there no, because once he was once we knew that wasn't going, we were like we need to put. Mike would have made a sexy Aquaman, right? Would you have done that, Mike? Would you have shaved your chest and Aquaman? Who says I don't? You know what? I let it grow since I had mixtures. So I kind of just <laughs> that would be that last. No, man, it's gonna be sexy. I'm throwing back the seventies right now. Yeah, right. it's like it gives me makes my chest a little clearer. Puffs out a little. So, you're going to have a little chance for questions from the audience. And by the way, before we get to questions, I want to tell you, I am very close contact with these guys who are really great friends, they've become amazing friends of mine, and, you know, you know, we could be working on something, I don't know, we're always working on something, we're always working on something, but they're brilliant writers and creators, and they're always thinking of amazing things, and they wrote this amazing book called Double Exposure. And we're gonna hold it up for you right now. Right. And so if you want a really good read, you know these guys' minds where they go, you should definitely take a look and, and have a read. Where can they get this book? There are signed copies of the tattered cover downstairs. Upstairs. Downstairs. Upstairs. Wherever it is, an artist guy, I'll let you wear this. And they're amazing. If you have any questions for them, you know, any questions about episodes or whatever, I'm sure they remember all of them, they were there. So get a book, support writers and creators and go ahead. Okay. Uh, so, yes, give a round of applause for If you do have questions, we have people um, with microphones who they are raising their hands. Okay, just the, right here. So um, please feel free to come on over and, uh, and we will be sure to take your questions. Um, before we get to, oh, okay, we have another mic here. Great. We have four mics. We're going to have five people each. I'll even sign the book for God's sakes. Oh, you might even better. All the help we can get. the show very quickly became just as much a story of Lex Luthor as it was Superman. 
Was that always the intention, or is that just because of like this wonderful acting? No, that was. But that, it was always the intention. Like that, that was sort of the key. The, the big triangle was obviously Clark, Lana, and Lex, but Clark and Lex really were the backbone of the show. That's it. Once John Glover was not supposed to be a series regular, but once we saw the chemistry and the acting dynamics between Michael and John Glover as Lionel, we just. He quickly became a series regular. It was just fantastic. Well, you guys did a fantastic job. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad that they evolved the uh, the character because you know in the history of DC Comics have they ever really talked about Lex Luthor's childhood? And yeah, that? no. I think it's a bit, I, mean, I, I haven't seen Sean Cryer, but for me, Michael is the best Lex Luthor's ever been. Yeah. 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 That's been like, that's sort of like, you know, with Gene Hackman. Totally. And I love Gene Hackman. <laughs> Funny story, a couple of conventions ago, this guy comes up to me, Luke Welling loves this story. And he was waiting in line for like 30 minutes, and he just goes, I just want to say that Gene Hackman was the best Lex Luthor ever. And I go, yeah, I agree with you. He's like, Season five for me. I, I would definitely say 
Just season one was such a overwhelming, really amazing blur. And, and just, I couldn't believe what I was doing. I was suddenly respected by people for the first time in my life. The first time they're like, hey, you're really, I was at a Wallflowers concert. Jacob Dylan, the Wallflowers, who I love. By the way, our album comes out in a couple months. Left on the world. If you like the Wallflowers, I'm gonna it. But he's singing, so long ago I can't remember when. And I go, and I'm standing there and he goes, hang on a second, guys, hang on, man. Hang on, hang on. And he looks out in the audience and goes, hey, man, is that you? <laughs> and I remember, there's no way he's talking. <laughs> hey, dude, hey, you, you. <laughs> I love that show, man. It's you, right? You'll break my heart if you're lying to me. <laughs> so I'll never forget, I go, dude, yeah, Smallville? I'm like, yeah, everybody in the whole place is looking at me, and I'm like going, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm really, I'm so successful. And then I go, hey, can you come backstage after? He's like, oh, yeah. I make sure him and all his friends get in afterwards. I'm like, some of my, some of my drums, my drumsticks, his drumsticks, it's amazing. Tom Welling to a club in LA, like on our hiatus, and I'm like, dude, this is great. He's like, dude, chill out, man. I'm cool with you. <laughs> we were both just like kids in a candy store. It was also a very beautiful time where Tom had no acting experience, so he would, he would say, hey, man, what do you think? We talk, and you guys would say, hey, work with you. He had no like uh, ego about it. And we would work with each other. We had this little thing that we did when we were working together where I, I do a scene, whether it's my lines or his lines. Afterwards, he would go, do that again. <laughs> or he'd give me a wink, like, yeah, I need to do one more of those. We tell each other, I go, yeah, he's like, hey, well, he needs one more. We look after each other, and that was the kind of environment we created that, like, he was a great leader, and we just, we had so much fun on set. It was just a magical time, magical time. That's great, that's very sweet. Um, how about over here? Hi, I'm Thomas Sanchez, and I just want to say that my family love your show. I have two autistic sons, and it's their birthday gift today, and my wife went through cancer three times and beat it. So you guys are awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, so the question I want to ask you is, what creative way would you kill off Clark Kent in Smallville? <laughs> What creative way would you kill off Clark Kent and Smallville? I'm totally throwing this question to you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't act like you haven't thought about it. I think that's enough. Look, the whole reason, um, look, if Clark would have lied, Lex would have been good. It's true. He's the only friend he really had in my game. You know, it's like, who else? Look, my dad lied to me. I, you know, my whole life people look down on me now. The one friend I have can't tell me the truth. He can't level with me. I mean, he would have told me the first three seasons. I would have been cool. Hey man, no evil here. Let's do some good. And I started getting bad. It was, it was over. But uh, we had no show. <laughs> we have no show. But uh, how would you create a way to kill Clark Kent? Uh, to kill Clark Kent. I don't know. I think I would just keep him in my house, like in a, in, a, in his own room, with like a light dosage of kryptonite, but just a very light dose, so he could like move around. And goes like it's like almost like you're tired, like you're hungover, like. 
Hey, Lex, come on, man. That's hard. We don't burn it too much. But just slowly go, hey, man. And I'm just like, keep him there. Is that too slow? It's very light. I don't want to kill him. Isn't that worse? Very light. Is that worse? Just slow torture. So this is my first con. I'm so excited to be here. This is like DC Daily on steroids. Yay! I watched DC Daily, so thank you. Thank you. So my question, now with streaming becoming a thing, the success of Titans, of Doom Patrol, would you guys switch over to, to write for, you know, uh, DCU on the online service? Interesting. I think the question is more for you guys about, about writing and like, you know, because uh, you, uh, you know, writing for something that's, uh, exclusively DC streaming. You know, do you have any desire to get back into the DC comics? I think, I think we're always okay. We just, we just had a lot of freedom on the show. We really did have couple Walsh do whatever we wanted. So I'm not sure in this new regime if there's, in terms of the rules of following the storylines of comics or whatever it is. So it's just, it would have to be something that is as free and liberating to write and be creative. Yeah, exactly. Michael, would you be open to popping over? Because uh, I know you've talked about this on and off over the, you know, I've, I've read a handful of interviews and listened to podcasts, and the idea of like showing up, not necessarily as Lex, but showing up as a, as a different character. Is that yeah, I don't know. I just, that was such a, to me, it's such a legendary character to play. I think almost it would be lessening. How do I? Or, I mean, I'm interested if people. To see a show like imagine a show with Michael, Lex Luthor, and older Lex Luthor played by Michael. Totally. To see him at, in his forties, what how Lex is behaving and what he's up to, I think it'd be really interesting. Ooh. Well, you know that's, that's but to say what you were saying, like the crossover thing, you know, all that and leave it open. Tom and I are kind of talking, and there's, there's been some, I'm not gonna, I can't say anything really, but who knows. I just, I don't know if it's right, if it feels right, if it makes sense. And that's what anything in life. It makes sense. Shave your head, Michael, that's the question. Oh, would like you shave your head? Can I shave my head? Can I shave my head again? Yeah. 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 I have a good head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So uh, my wife and I, we watched, we got married right before the show started. And so first 10 years of our marriage, that was the one show that we would always come together every week to watch together. Oh, so, I love that. Who's your hall pass? <laughs> Who's her hall pass? You don't have to answer that, sir. <laughs> you can answer this in a little bit. If you want to, definitely. Yeah, that's okay. Um, a lot of the internet always speculated about whether you come back and make us like, come back to these characters uh, later on. I was just curious, was anything ever written or did you ever pitch anything to anyone about bringing these characters back as an actual Superman show or movie or anything like that? Yeah, because everybody's doing movies now, right? Buffy just said he was doing a movie. There's all these older shows that are doing movies now. Yeah, have you ever considered that? I, we, we never, no, nothing was ever written or pitched sort of after we left the show. It's, again, it's one of those things in this new world of streaming and the way that superheroes have evolved now, it's certainly something we'd be open to. Ooh, you know what, Tom and I kind of have an idea of an animated series with all of us voicing the characters. Like, there's a small world continues. Yeah. Like, like, Lax Media and the rules of Lax. And you guys created it. 
shows like Exotic Liability, No Applause, Just the Clap, and Black Falls. We can be found at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for The BACN on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Oh, yeah.